On the latest episode of the Press Rewind Prince Lyrics Podcast, I welcome first-time guest host Richard Cole of the Amari Purple Talk Podcast. Welcome to the show, Richard. Welcome, Diane. Thanks for inviting me. I'm excited to have you on the show because I'm a big fan of your podcast, Amari Purple Talk. Uh, I think you do a great job with that show, and I think, um, you know, if my listeners aren't already familiar with you and what you do, this would be a great opportunity to kind of introduce yourself and explain uh, your show to the listeners and also maybe a little bit of uh, your background about listening to Prince and how you got into him. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, Amari Purple Talk, it is a podcast about the music and artistry of Prince. Uh, it's on your favorite podcast platform, and it is also on YouTube. And I try to broadcast every Monday. I got to record the show on like a Saturday or Sunday and just have it up and available by Monday. So you can check it out every Monday. In fact, starting new episodes uh, next week, April 5th. So be sure to tune in for that. And as far as my interest in prints, I got involved in 1981. Um, actually, my interest goes a lot farther back. Uh, I remember hearing Soft and Wet. Uh, on the radio, but every time it was on the radio, it was on this block of songs uh, where they would never say the name of the artist. You know, I would always come in in the middle. And then my uncle tried to hit me to the second album, which at the time Off the Wall was out, and that took a lot of my attention. So I didn't really want to know, but it took a friend of mine bringing over the Dirty Mind album and borrowing my component set to make a dub copy of it. And it was through that that I really got a chance to sit and listen to Prince, pay attention, got hooked. A few months later, Controversy came out, and I've been a fan ever since. Very cool. So from from very early on, you were into his music, uh, kind of got in on the ground floor almost, uh, you know, in some ways. Oh, yeah. Yeah, here um, in St. Louis, um, it has a very rich musical history. Uh, as far as radio, uh, there is a wide diversity of radio stations. Uh, at that time, there were at least maybe like four black music stations that were available. So both AM and FM. And like I said, where in a lot of cities where, say, like Prince wasn't getting airplay or black music in general wasn't getting a lot of airplay, there was definitely a lot coming through St. Louis. Yeah, very cool. Now, um, I don't live there anymore, but I lived in the St. Louis area for seven years. You, you, I've told you this, Richard, but maybe the listeners don't remember. I started When I started my show, I was living in St. Louis. And one of my favorite record stores, I had uh, several that I went to pretty regularly in the St. Louis area, but one that I went to semi-regularly was Vintage Vinyl in The Loop. Yes. And... Um, and what's interesting there, and it just kind of ties back to something that just occurred very recently, was um, D'Angelo Duff's uh, 1 plus 1 plus 1 equals 3 symposium. And that was a symposium that covered th- uh, the anniversaries of three key albums in Prince's career. The 20th anniversary of The Rainbow Children, 30th anniversary of Diamonds and Pearls, and 40th anniversary of um the controversy album Mm -hmm. and one of the kind of uh one of the presentations that occurred on the controversy day was 
uh, Zach Hoskins' um, presentation about the infamous shower poster that came with the controversy record back in 1981. And I find it curious or interesting just to tie into that because he did a whole presentation on the significance of that album and, and the signif- significance of that poster. But if you go to Vintage Vinyl today, I believe and when you walk in, you can look up on the ceiling near the uh, checkout counter. There's that, that poster they have taped right. up on the ceiling. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever noticed that, Richard, if you've been to yeah. Vintage Vinyl. Uh, I haven't been, of course, obviously since the lockdown or yeah, since the sure. pandemic. But uh, yeah, last time I went was actually that record store day. It had to been maybe 2019. Because it was the Versace experience and then uh, His Majesty's Pop Life that was available record store day. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was, that was the last time I was actually inside of Vintage Final. Yeah. So I just yeah, find it was it, still there then. Yeah, I just find it interesting that that's, they, they've chosen to, to display that poster. I think it's really kind of cool. You have to, you have to kind of look for it. Like I said, you got to look up, but it's there <laughs> if you're paying oh, attention. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, we're not talking, we're not here to talk about controversy. We're not here to talk about the poster. We're here to talk about love or money, or yes. also as it's known as heart or dollar sign. Right. Because <laughs> that is how it was printed on the back of the Kiss single. And, and that's what this is. This is a B-side. Um, love or money was never uh, recorded for, you know, the inclusion on the Parade album. It, it's only on, you can only find it as the B-side to Kiss, either the 7 or 12-inch. There's a, a, you know, like a radio edit, and there's an extended version on the 12-inch. And it wasn't even included as part of the the Hits and B-sides collection that was released in 93. For some reason, neither of the Parade-era B-sides made it onto that collection. I mean, I know one of them is a instrumental, so that kind of, you know, I can, it makes sense to me that why they wouldn't pick an instrumental, you know, if they only can pick certain songs to exclude that one potentially, even though I really do like Alexa de Paris. But with Love or Money, I feel like they missed the opportunity of putting that on there because it's a really kind of fun, funky song. Um, oh, yeah. I, I dig it. I dig it. And it was a song I didn't, I didn't really get at first. And when I say get, I mean, I didn't, I didn't appreciate it. You know, I didn't appreciate what it was intending to do. I thought it sounded really frivolous. I liked my prince like really deep, you know, and and meaningful and and having some interesting things to say about love and the world and race and et cetera, et cetera. Love or money doesn't really do that. You know, that's not what it's meant to do, in my opinion. It feels like it's just more of a a vibe, you know, it's it's kind of like a fun song to lighten the mood and and get some experimentation out there um what are your thoughts on the song in general before we talk about you know maybe some of the lyrics or themes uh well jason yeah it is uh i wouldn't say like my top five it would be in my top 10 of favorite b-sides form because i first bought the 45 or the single Mm -hmm. and then later got the extended version and i kind of lean more towards the extended version now uh, but even when I just had the 45 single, yeah, I think I played that more than Kiss, actually, because I just really wanted the album version. And I think at the time, radio was starting to play the extended version of that. So 
I would just focus on when it came to my turntable, just playing love or money. Yeah. Uh, now, as you were saying that it wasn't available on the hits of the B sides. I'm thinking it's because when that set was being put together, because you know, I notice, um, yeah, of course, Purple Rain is on it. And of course, Purple Rain related material is on it. Uh, but Bat Dance isn't on it. And with the exception of maybe Kiss, then none of the other parade album tracks, singles, or B-sides made that cut either. And I think right. it might have to do with the licensing of it. Because mm. yeah. there's, yeah, there's a separate contract for whenever you do anything for a movie soundtrack. And Love or Money, it's actually in the parade fi- or under the Cherry Moon film. Yep. And it may have been, you know, written for that based on the title, maybe some of the lyrics in it. It does relate to the themes of that movie, but even though it was just regulated to a B side, it's in the film, and that may have would have been or may have been what tied it up mm-hmm. as far as not getting it on the uh, hits of B sides. Yeah, yeah, you might be onto something there because I always just kind of thought it was like a personal thing, like they just didn't think it was worthy of making the collection. They thought everything else was better and so like if if you're putting all of his b-sides from you know the 80s into the very early 90s onto like a list and you're trying to figure out pare down which ones okay we can't get all these on a single disc so what are we going to do we got to start start cutting the fat away and Mm -hmm. and i just thought maybe they were just thinking these two songs just weren't strong enough to hold up against your erotic cities and your 17 days and your she's always in my hairs and your shock delicates i don't know but you might be onto something because uh, that perspective actually also makes sense to me. So it'd be interesting to know what the real reason was, if that if that's you know the reason why, or if it's they just had they had to pick something out and and uh, Lover Money got the cut. Not sure. Yeah, I don't know. did he have? I don't know if he even had final say so on the tracks. Probably did he? Probably not. I don't. I don't know for sure, but it. I don't think so. I think these, I mean, he wasn't really that into the whole greatest hits compilation to begin with. So I can see him not really being too involved in the decisions around that. Um, So yeah, lover money is, as you mentioned, featured in the movie. There's it's the um, shopping spree scene, right? So that's the scene where, you know, they're tricky and, and Christopher are out to spend Mary's money and she's happily giving it to them and they all go out and and start spending some cash, you know, and they're buying all the fancy clothes and and getting a nice car and it's uh it's meant to, you know, just to score a really kind of lighthearted, fun scene in the film. There's songs that are meant for more dramatic purposes, and then there's songs like Love or Money that are just just meant to uh, elicit the the fun vibe that is that you're seeing that you're witnessing on the screen at the time so you know under the cherry moon in its historical context got a lot of shit from (laughs) to put it bluntly from the critics like it was critically uh panned and i think this song even received some sort of nomination for like worst song soundtrack song or something i probably have the category yeah (laughs) right and i think it was just 
because Under the Cherry Moon was just basically getting crapped on from everybody that they just were piling it on. So like in, in the opinion of the critics who were creating these lists of worst actors and worst actresses and worst films, they were also compiling a list of worst soundtrack songs and listening to parade. I mean, how are you going to pick any song off that album to be worse? You can't, right? I mean, the whole right. album's, even the worst song, even the, then though I say worst and I really mean somebody's least favorite song on parade isn't worthy of being like listed as an awful song. But when you're just listening and I, to love or money, I can see it in 1986 eyes being a little bit uh, odd to, to listeners. And I say that because the song seems somewhat repetitive. Uh, the lyrics are not anything, you know, in worthy of a lot of deciphering or, or, uh, you know, academic research, right? <laughs> I mean, when we start going through the lyrics, it's going to be pretty clear, you know, it's not that kind of song. And also Prince is using an altered voice. And I was struggling to think of times that he had done that prior to love or money. Can you think of any instances where Prince that, you know, that were available, widely available to listeners, 1986, where he had an altered voice. I mean, yeah, a little bit in automatic, you know, he's got that automatic at times he adds that sped up voice but not for the entire song. Um, can you think of any other examples? Uh, let's see. What, uh, Erotic City? Okay. That was yeah. sort of, yeah, that was kind of the beginning of that. Um, yeah, you're right. I don't, I don't know how I blanked on Erotic City. <laughs> that was a big one. But I just but wonder if, like, a, if that turned people off, I wonder, that weren't used to it. I can see that um, if you're talking about the type of critics that were sort of picking out the the worst soundtrack yeah. song. Yes. Um, again, I agree. They couldn't have pulled anything out of the parade soundtrack. I mean, that's because Rolling Stone basically labeled him a genius on that. You know, that was sort of the transition from this, you know, one man band prodigy to absolute genius. And then they started comparing them to Dylan at that point. So when it came time to pick the worst song, they, they couldn't touch that album at all. So mm -hmm. they had to pick on the, they had to pick on the B side. Yeah. And under, and under the cherry moon does, as we, as we've talked about already does feature this song in it. So one can extract love or money from the, the movie to, to kind of highlight it if one wanted to, and I think it's just, and also maybe a little bit was uh, expectations were at a certain level. He had released a really kind of introspective, deep album with Around the World in a Day prior with songs like The Ladder. And even if you didn't like it, if you, even if you weren't into the message behind songs like The Ladder and Temptation, um, talking about Paisley Park and Pop Life, songs that in America songs that have something to say, you know, not every, not every song has to say something, but when you start doing that and then you go back and then you kind of lyrically regress as one might look at it, um, it might be perceived as lazy songwriting or something less than what it, what it actually is. 
that's and that and I, that's not in my opinion. I'm just trying to think of reasons why a song like Lover Money might be singled out as a song that is considered, you know, um, unworthy of of Prince's talent to some people. But I don't want to I don't want to, you know, dwell on it too much because at the end of the day, it's uh, it's irrelevant and. We both like the song, so I guess right. that's, you know, we're here talking about it. So let's <laughs> let's let's get into it. Unless you have anything uh, else you want to add to that conversation about its context in 1986, yeah. Prince. Uh, I mean, as far as the critics and the worst movie part, now I'm ready to talk about what we love about this track, and you know, and like you said, it's not like lyrically heavy, but there's some merit to it because it was written. For the film and mm-hmm. some of those and there's a there's a couple of lines in the song or even in the hook of the song that you know were echoed in some of the dialogue in the film too or it kind of helped push the narrative so yeah i'm ready mm-hmm. to talk about that yeah let's do that then yeah. so lover money was originally according to prince fault and i'd use them as kind of like my my bible for recording dates and we all know some things sometimes it can be incorrect and it's only as good as the information that's given to the, the folks there. But I, I got it as a July 1985 recording date. So that what that tells me is by by the summer of 85, you know, they were ready to, to, to film the movie. They hadn't started filming yet, but I, I imagine the script was complete, or at least as complete it was going to be until they started filming, and they probably made some adjustments on the fly. But a final, dra- final draft of the script was written. They probably had done all the storyboards. Uh, scouting locations, ready to go, right? So for this song to be written in the summer of 85 tells me also, to your point, that I this I think the song was written solely for the movie. Like Prince had the movie in mind for sure. And I don't think every song that ended up on Parade was written with the movie in mind. Some of them were just kind of shoehorned in. But to me, Love or Money is a very clear soundtrack song even though it didn't end up on the soundtrack, which is, you know, one of those kind of silly things. But um, but I just wanted to point that out. And then also it's uh, it's interesting to me because this is also around... So Prince had already just recorded, I believe, the uh, the family album around this time. So that was Eric Leeds' kind of first introduction into the Prince camp was on the family as part of the family project. But this is the like the first, if I got my dates correct, time that he's on a Prince song, an officially recorded Prince song. It's around this time, like it's either the first or one of the first times that we hear Eric Leeds. And actually, if you're thinking about it, maybe it wasn't the first time he recorded a Prince song. But if you're if you're buying the Kiss single in early '86 before the Parade album is even released, that's your that's going to be your first time you hear Eric Leeds on. A Prince song because the album hadn't been released yet, so I think that's kind of something worth pointing out. Yeah, that's true. Now you know I can't wait until uh, Dwayne Tuhal's book about the parade and sign of the time session drops because I think that'll clearly put in place you know the context of you know uh, Love or Money when that was recorded, uh, what was recorded before that ahead of the parade album uh let's see who else uh because 
I think they were still working on Jill Jones at that point too. Yeah, Jill's album was in development for quite a while before it was finally released. Yes, yeah. um, Romance sixteen hundred that would have been practically finished mm-hmm. by then. Yeah, so and but that was ADM on sax on a lot of her stuff. But, yep. Uh, the the yep. family stuff was uh, like during Purple Rain, the beginning of it, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Like they 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 had the the album ready to go before this song was released. It's just uh, in terms of like an, a Prince in the Revolution song. It'd be interesting to know if this was the first or which, you know, kind of what order that Eric was brought in to record on a Prince song. All right. So the song um, starts off just repeating, basically repeating the title. You've got, uh, I believe it's Wendy and Lisa and maybe Susanna on vocals doing this part where they're just saying love or money. Yeah. And, you, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, that those are really the first lines you hear of the song is just the women singing love or money. Uh, just the title of the song before we get um, Prince chiming in in his sped up vocals like Erotic City. God, I still am annoyed that I couldn't. <laughs> I totally blanked over that song as being one or an earlier example of him using the sped up voice. But whatever, I'll get over it. So the first lines of the song are, baby, nothing comes for free now. If you want to be with me now, what's it going to be now? Is it love or money? Um, so I guess for me, like this song almost feels like it belongs more either on a Camille project or the Black album. And, and I don't know, maybe maybe not the Black album because the vibe is, is a bit sunnier than a lot of the songs on that album ended up being. But, and I can see why Prince did not include it on Parade. I think just the, just the, the tone of the song, how it's recorded, how it's presented mm-hmm. is a little different. It's a little different than the rest of the album. You know, the rest of the album kind of has like this uh, sophisticated air about it, you know, with the orchestration at times. And, you know, it was the suite at the beginning has kind of like a theme to it. And then you move to, like songs that uh you just you've got instrumentals for the first time in a prince mm-hmm. project and and lover money just feels like an outlier a little bit to me and i could see even though it totally fits in the movie as we talked about i think leaving it off of the parade album was probably a conscious decision because the tone was just maybe a little different than the rest of the project but in terms of like these lyrics you know prince is just using a very basic kind of rhyme pattern here Nothing come for free now. If you want to be with me now, you know, ending each line with the word now. But he's asking, you know, he, well, he only asked a couple questions. He asked more questions later in the song. It's a lot of questions. You know, most most of the lines right. in the song end in, in, end in, you know, a question mark. And a lot of, uh, you know, deep hypothetical questions he's asking somebody about, you know, you're making decisions essentially. And, and, and Richard, would you mind kind of, uh, bringing up the the context of the film and and like how you see lines like this fitting in with what's going on in the movie under the cherry moon. Uh, let's see that because that was at the beginning of 
Christopher Tracy and Mary Sharon's relationship, I guess. The the point, you know, where she was stopped, you know, she kind of stopped being aloof to him and was sort of beginning to kind of embrace him, embrace kind of his worldview. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was, of course, you know, they're still celebrating her birthday. And, of course, you know, Dad gives her a big wad of cash, and she's like, what am I going to do with this? And <laughs> <laughs> Yep, and then we, know, and we find out what they end up doing with it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I just like but, the whole, um, you know, with the, the concept behind Prince is singing the song, right? And he's posing the questions, but you can almost take these uh, lines to be kind of asked by by Mary as well in some ways. That's if you true. want to be with if you want to be with me, what's it going to be? Is it love or is it money? Because she's the one with the money, not him. So if he if if Christopher's singing this line, if is it love or money? Yeah, I can see it both ways because I guess you can also think of it from the standpoint like if she's if he's asking her the love or money, me basically saying you might have to leave your money behind in order to be with me because your dad's not going to approve of this relationship and you're not going to get your inheritance. But that kind of, especially early on in the movie, as you were referring to, that would go totally against what Christopher's all about because he's all about the money, you know, early on in the film. That's how they meet. He's, he's after her money. Right. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he was definitely about getting paid for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, interesting because I guess listening to it, you know, when it's on your turntable in 1986, you know, I didn't make the connection that, okay, he's singing as the Christopher Tracy character Mm -hmm. on that song. So it's weird because it's like, okay, it's Prince. He's using the sped up vocal. We find out later the song is in the film. It's part of the montage. But yeah, I mean because the lyrics kind of echo some of the themes of the film. Yeah. Is he singing as a character or is he sort of kind of spelling out the duality between both characters, Christopher yeah. Tracy and Mary Sharon, because you can attach those lyrics to both. Yes. Like you said, she has the money and to be with Christopher, she has to do without it. And then he's all about getting paid, but to explore love, then it's not about money or materialistic things to which he would have to give up or come to an understanding about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the more I'm thinking of it, the more I'm thinking that really it's the song and the lyrics f- speak to that duality about, and that's like one of the central struggles in the film is love or money. Um, because can go after one or the other but oftentimes it is a decision that has to be made at least in the context of what's going on in the french riviera in this film you've got the upper class and you've got you know the working class and yeah christopher also plays piano and we know that he's a musician and is able to earn some money that way but it's not you know the kind of money that he wants in order to live the lifestyle that he's accustomed to being basically a, you know, boy toy for these rich older women. Yeah. So the duality really to me fits the theme, even if like every line as we go through, it doesn't, 
you know, you, you can't maybe apply a specific moment in a film for a specific line. I think probably what Prince was doing when he was writing this was because this, as I as I imagine, by July of '85, I'd like to hope that the script was already mostly done, so they knew where it was going to go. They knew what the central themes of the film were going to be, and how can you how can you describe under the cherry moon to somebody who's never seen it without kind of speaking to that the dilemmas that uh, the two the two lovers face throughout it's christopher tracy having to choose between love or money because he falls in love with somebody that he wasn't expecting to fall in love with right. and you know ultimately he would have to make that choice to be with her knowing that she was probably going to lose her inheritance by running away with him. And so then if he was going to be with her, then he couldn't obviously continue with his relationships with Mrs. Wellington or anybody else that was giving him what he needed financially on the side. So he had to make that choice. And so did she. So anyway, I think, I think you're right on the on the nose with that. The duality is really what the song kind of speaks to more so than and and trying to apply the lyrics to fit the different characters' perspectives throughout the film. Tell me. All right, so the next grouping of lines is Tell me what's your name? What's your claim to fame? You see, I don't like silly games. Is it love or is it money? Uh, so with these lines, Richard, um, anything that you wanted to call out here or anything unique about these? That one, yeah, that one is definitely, I would say, the Mary Sharon part of the, the song. I think that's from her perspective. Mm-hmm. Or at least that's how it comes across, you know, when it's when it's read out that way. That's the first thing that popped in my head was that that's definitely her because it's like, who are you? Where do you come from? And, you know, she wasn't about entertaining any type of, you know, frivolous or superficial relationship. Yeah, she wasn't she wasn't with the foolishness that that christopher and at least not at first she wasn't about right. the foolishness that christopher and tricky presented to her when they crashed her party i mean she she called him out pretty early on right and, and you know told him basically to get the hell out because she saw right through you know their 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 plans their their scheme and you know the line i don't like silly games kind of speaks to that i could see her saying that you know her character saying a line like that i don't like silly games because she wasn't at first amused by their personalities and you know what they were about and who they were took a while to warm up to it tell me what's on your mind are we just making time will our spirits rise is it love or is it money Tell me what's on your mind. Are we just making time? Will our spirits rhyme? Is it love or money? Uh, so yeah, I mean, again, with these lines, Prince is doing the the simple rhyme thing again: mind, time, rhyme. Mm-hmm. 
as opposed to name, fame, game. And <clears throat> with these, yeah, I get kind of more of a um, like bedroom talk kind of <laughs> situation, you know, what's on your mind, wanting to know what the other person is thinking while, you know, kind of in that uh, cuddle moment post-sex or post-intimacy you know, intimacy. Are we just making time? It's just more like making time, meaning are we just fooling around? Does this have any meaning behind it? Is there, do you feel anything for me or are we just making time here? Uh, you know, it's kind of a, an old fashioned way of putting it, but that's what I get from it. I don't know about you. Oh, yeah. That, that goes back to, um, is that Goffin and King? You know, Jerry Goff and Carol King um, writing, you know, Will You Love Me Tomorrow for the Jarrells. Yes. Mm, yeah. You know, and that was a, a big thing for pop music even back then. You know, th- those very questions. But, you know, what they did in the entire song, Prince has on the B side for what? How many sentences was that? Like three? <laughs> yeah, right. He's, three he's sentences. Just right. Basically, he distills that whole concept down to this one. This one verse <laughs> in this in this B side because you know he's talking about several. I mean, the song goes in a few different directions. Like you know, first we're talking about just the general concepts behind love or money and what the kind of choices that need to be made, and then it's talking more about you know introducing oneself to another and and how that can be how one's first impression can be a little misleading, uh, especially if your first impression is uh, maybe coming from the perspective of somebody trying to, to get over on another person. And that's not usually a very, um, it's not a very good first impression that's made there, but she's able to get past it. And in the third verse, we we get the impression that, um, that they've been together now. And it's kind of like, now what is it? You know, and we keep advancing this relationship Mm -hmm. You meet, you you have a little conversation, then you're intimate. Now what? You know, will our spirits rhyme? I think it's just kind of a unique way of basically saying, are our souls aligned? Uh, will we? Is this is this a a relationship that has legs? You know, is this gonna is this gonna go anywhere? Yeah. Uh, anything else you wanted to mention about that, Richard? Uh, no, that pretty much sums it up on. At least you know, on those three lines. Um, I was thinking too with those. I wonder if that was originally intended for because uh, you know, you really didn't have a maybe the family if they were able to jail or was that written for like maybe Susanna to sing in the film because I think she was supposed to be in it originally. Yeah, she was. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, okay, so I wonder if at the beginning that song was intended for her, but then later, because even even uh, Prince wasn't originally the director. I know he wrote the script, mm-hmm. but he didn't intend to direct it at first. So I think in the middle of when he took over as director, you know, maybe love that song got swapped out for, say, like maybe Girls and Boys or something, because mm-hmm. that kind of has that upbeat flavor it also has eric on the sax too yeah and then yeah, good point yeah and maybe just lover money was just kept in the film just to fit that montage but girls and boys being the better song 
and I think it ended up being like the centerpiece, didn't it? Oh yeah, there's um, that whole that dancing. whole dance that dancing at the restaurant. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a centerpiece song. Where Love or Money, I don't think it was could ever really fit that. Right. Uh, yeah, it, it wasn't. Love it as a B side, but it wasn't strong enough to have that kind of a place in the film. Right. Shake my hips to the east. Shake my hips to the west. Do you make up your mind that my hip is the best? I said, uh. Okay, so then the next section of lines, Prince is actually now no longer singing this, these lines. He's kind of like speaking them more or less, right? So I'm going to shake my hips to the east, shake my hips to the west, till you make up your mind that my hip is the best. Okay. <laughs> so listen. <laughs> uh, All right. That... What do you got to say about that one, Richard? <laughs> I don't know. I... That sounds more like Christopher Tracy than the Mary Sharon character. I'm, I'll lean towards that being more Christopher Tracy. Oh, absolutely. That's, yeah. The, yeah. That, that, that's the musical equivalent to the Recosto scene right there. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. That's, that's Prince, yeah, that's Prince and James Brown mode at that point. <laughs> to my hip is the best. Yep, yep. Uh, you know, it's reading them aloud, you know, it's out of the context of the, the song without the music behind it, without the lead up of everything else that's led up to this point of the song. It sounds it sounds silly, you know, just me saying, uh, shake my hip to the West, make up your mind that my hip is the best. But I think, you know, Prince is dabbling a little bit with a little bit of, a, you know, kind of early hip hop. Um, rap style, you know, he'd done that. He had written, you know, that Sheila E song for the Crush Groove soundtrack. Um, yeah, Holly Rock. Yeah. Holly Rock, thank <laughs> you. So that that song, pretty much straight up hip hop, right? I mean, I, I she's basically rapping on that song, so rap singing. Um, so this isn't the first time, but he's you know he's dabbling a little bit in it. There's songs where he'll stop singing and. And, and do some sort of pseudo rapping, uh, you know, irresistible bitch is another one where he takes that approach. And in 1985, 86, you know, the, the genre was still, it was obviously it had been around for a while, but it wasn't, it wasn't in the mainstream quite the way it would be in a few more years. The crossover acts run DMC beastie boys hadn't even really crossed over yet by 85. So that there were few and far between yeah. crossover acts. So he was, you know, trying to stay on top of some of the, the more cutting edge uh, trends in music and incorporating stuff like this into songs, especially if you're going to relegate it to a B side, it's, it's a, a win-win situation or really it's more of a no lose situation. If it doesn't, if it doesn't come off all that great, no big loss. It's just a B side. You know, I was just trying something, trying something new. Um, but and if it does, you know, he's he's a genius, right? For <laughs> for incorporating rap elements into a song back in 1985 when hardly any hip hop or sorry, hardly any pop acts were doing that. Of course, Shaka Khan and Melly Mel were doing it a year before, and I feel for you. But then, hey, that's a Prince song, right? So I mean, he can he's he's kind of uh, associated with 
with even that that uh, aspect of it when it was oh, like, yeah. a massive crossover for I Feel For You. Um, of course, he didn't have anybody rapping on his 1979 version, but you know, damn, if if it didn't sound great on Shaka Khan's version. So yeah, I just kind of like you know the way that he delivers some of these. He's just just adding just that element, you know, that kind of more street element, hip hop element, urban element to the mm-hmm. song. And the song has a lot of that already. I mean, it's 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 pure funk, you know, up and down. Um, it's I think Parade sometimes gets maligned for not being funky enough, for being too avant-garde or what have you. Uh, and, and obviously not every song. Girls and Boys is a, in Mountains and there's others as well. But Kiss is funky. Shit. Oh, that's, yeah. a funky, that's a funky song. So it, people who are like saying that are just like looking at maybe some of the more orchestral pieces like Under the Cherry Moon or Do You Lie or... Um, the instrumental song that the name is venus de milo so mm-hmm. yeah i think it's 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 an it's a nice it's a nice ad i don't know do you have anything else you want to mention about these lines richard uh to me i think as far as the song that's when it kind of makes that transition to me it goes into that total james brown mode from that point mm-hmm. or actually, or no actually it kind of or it's kind of the beginning. It's sort of like the first, uh, what do you want to call it? The first uh, kind of break or bridge. Then it goes back into the questions. And then it goes, if you're listening to the extended version, then it just goes completely into just total James Brown mode at that point. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Because that after after the lines that I just read... The next ones are, I said, baby, let me take you by the hand, make you understand that I ain't no silly man. Gotta let me know, is it love or is it money? So he jumps back into that that style for this next line of verses. And, um, you know, talking about ain't no silly man, that's a callback to the, the second verse when he says, I don't like silly games. So he's basically trying to uh, reassure Mary, if we're thinking of it as under the cherry moon that he is not silly you know don't worry you know you, you don't like silly games i'm not a silly man so you don't have to anything to worry about there let me make you understand you've got to let me know is a lover is it money so he it, the constant you know the demand for an answer to this question is it love or is it money and the song never answers the question because it's you know it's not really intended to do that it's just posing right. the question knowing that there's this there's this dilemma that exists out there throughout the film and it needs to be addressed. It has to be addressed in order for there to be, you know, closure, um, to the, the plot. Well, the closure is death, but I mean, they, they had made, he had made a choice, you know, they had, they had made a collective choice. They were going to pick love over money. That's how he was going to go until of course he again gets killed, but, they, they had to make that choice, and the choice had to be made before he could die, so that way when mm-hmm. Christopher dies at the end of the film, you already kind of knew he was on that path 
towards to, to marry and to choose love over money and mm-hmm. so that we we don't get the answer in the song but we get the answer in the film i guess later in the, yeah later in the narrative yeah, yeah exactly exactly <clears throat> all right so um then in in just you know the normal seven inch version the the version that was on the seven inch single for kiss he just says some of the lines again something um same lines that he had already repeated. Nothing comes for free now. If you want to be with me now, what's it going to be now? Is it love or money? And some of the lines are starting to, as the song starts to fade out, you hear more words. He says, listen, talk a little. Take you by the hand. Make you understand that I ain't no silly man. Those are the lines mm-hmm. that are being said, which is also a reiteration of previous lines. Um, and so then it goes into a fade out for the seven inch version. Then we get the 12-inch version. And I, you know, I have the 12-inch on on vinyl. I don't have a digital version of the 12-inch. I need to get I need to get one so I can listen to it a little, a little yeah. bit easier <laughs> than, than popping it into my record player. Yeah, um, I know they, how, they have it in, um, I think, both Amazon and Apple in Japan. You can get it. Nice, nice. Yeah, but uh, yeah, here it's just the... It's just the uh, uh, 45, just the yep. single version. Yep. So there's actually quite a few more lyrics that are associated with the 12-inch version. And this is like more of like the, like as you were referring to, like, you know, full James Brown now. And um, the rest of the song in the 12-inch version is just really just uh, extension of the music, getting into some more kind of... Um, you know, kind of pseudo-rapping lyrics, just talking over the over the music a bit. I'll read the lines. Uh, we don't have to go through them line by line, but I'll read them just you know for the for the listeners who maybe aren't familiar with it. And you know, there's no printed lyrics, and I'm just reading them off of transcribed on the internet. So hopefully these are accurate. He was bad. He was fresh. All the women say he was the best. And money up to his neck, but it didn't mean a hit. He was bad, he was fresh, all the women say he was the best. He had money up to his neck, but it didn't mean a heck. The boy was in need of some diehard pussy. The kind drawers, the kind of drawers that last. Heck a buff, good God, I want ya. <laughs> Alright, so we don't have to dissect all those lines, but you know, it's no, definitely <laughs> it's it's definitely taking a different tone lyrically now in the twelve inch. Like this, we're not into this whole, you know, simple rhyming patterns. I mean, he does have some obviously simple rhyming patterns, mm. best neck heck. Um, but it's not the same structure. He doesn't have like the three lines and then the chorus, three lines and the chorus, three lines and chorus, like he was doing before. And these lines really don't have much to do with the narrative of the song up to this point or even the narrative of, well, I mean, sure you could apply them to the narrative of the film. If you're just talking about, you know, the playboy aspect of Christopher Tracy singing these, you know, that, that, that makes sense. Sure. But you know, the whole love or money part. No, it doesn't, it doesn't really, doesn't really vibe with, with that love or money theme anymore. He's just kind of extending on the, um, 
the previous side with the or the shake my hips to the east and west you know it's more like that it's more in that in that vein in that style what what do you i mean do you agree with that richard or do you have any different insight on what's going on in the 12 inch version uh i mean if you look at it from if we're you know as a if we're analyzing the track where the questions are brought up you know throughout most of the song and then kind of on the 12 inch single as it's kind of going towards the vamp towards the end then it's the thing of either he's like in denial sort of and he's just going to hold on to that character or he's hiding behind the character and doesn't want to answer the question mm. or if the entire track is completely from Christopher Tracy's perspective then going back to the beginning of the song with the whole you know what's it going to be now you know that was sort of that prince time vocabulary in introduced i think either in controversy i mean yeah probably i think controversy where you started hearing that what's it going to be and then you start to hear it on ice cream castles with a uh, morris day and i think that just became part of their you know, their sort of language, you know, the personal hip language that they had. I know we used to run around <laughs> and, you know, pinch some of those lines too. you know, what's it going to be? And, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. uh, I can't remember some of the other ones, but that one was a key one that, you know, we used to say in our little musician artist circles too, a lot, trying to emulate what they were doing a lot. But uh, getting back to the end of it, if it's Christopher Tracy, you know, sort of asking the questions whether he's posing it to her or because he's encountered her asking those questions of himself. And this is where it's probably going to get deep, but because if it goes in that direction, if he's kind of trying to figure out that end of it, then yeah, he's probably slipping into denial mode at that point. Like, no, I can't, you know, I can't lose myself in this relationship. Oh, no, that's too, that's too deep of a question. So I'm going to go and, you know, I'm going to slip back into my Christopher Tracy persona mm -hmm. and just kind of be the, you know, the pimp gigolo and not get into my real feelings. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's really what it, what it, the vibe I'm getting from these lines is he's, he is almost uh, regressed a little bit back into you know, the Christopher Tracy that we meet at the beginning of the film, uh, as opposed to the Christopher Tracy that exists at the end of the film. So, and I, I think it's funny, the line, um, he had money up to his neck. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I get the impression that I don't, I don't I'm not saying he's living, uh, day to day, paycheck to paycheck. Cause you know, he doesn't, I mean, he has a paycheck, steady paycheck with the, uh, the gig he's got piano gig, but, I never get the impression that Christopher Tracy is, you know, rich or has a lot of money. That's why he is in constant search for women with money because he needs it. Um, and that's that's how he gets his money. So if he was independently wealthy, uh, why would he be doing what he's doing? So I think it's just more of like, he's, you know, like a, a persona that he's putting on here. Um you know, to play up his attributes or just to make himself seem more fly than he, than he maybe is 
he's pretty fly, but <laughs> but he doesn't have the money. I mean, that's kind of like the whole thing is he needs the money from the women. And that's but yeah, that's the that's the thing there where you know from a hip hop perspective, that kind of those kind of bragging rights that was always there at the beginning of hip hop, where you know you probably didn't live like that. You may have had a job, may not have had a job. But it was just nice to fantasize or in the case of if you're the MC, yeah, lyrically, you want to be the person on top. So you're going to brag about, you know, kind of like Rapper's Delight, you know, having checkbooks, heavy cars, more money than any sucker could ever spend. Yep. You know, that's, you know, that's the DNA of hip hop. And uh, it kind of translates into R&B, too. And by the 80s, you know, we've encountered the Morris Day persona. To where during the symposium we were talking about the song "Cool." That was kind of the you know an offshoot of hip hop bragging, even in that song. You know, with mm-hmm. the penthouse in Manhattan, two more in Malibu. Well, yeah, I mean, I, absolutely. The more the Morris Day persona in Purple Rain film and on record is exactly that. We see him in his, you know, his apartment, uh, getting ready to go out to the club at the beginning of Purple Rain, and he's not living the lifestyle that he portrays to be living when he's talking to, you know, talking up Apollonia and trying <laughs> right. to, trying to, trying to get her in bed. Uh, he doesn't have all that stuff. So <laughs> we, we know that that, that is the persona that he's playing up. And, and of course the Morris Day character was uh, largely developed by Prince. Um, so it makes sense that he continues on, even though Morris Day and Prince aren't exactly on the best of terms in 1985. Uh, this whole idea of um, Tricky and Christopher, you can apply a lot of the same kind of characteristics and personality traits that Morris Day had in Purple Rain to these characters as well, I think. They're not they're not identical, but they do have some similar similar traits. We can play for days. play for days if you get tired give me that mayonnaise revolution put the groove on the bus don't worry about me don't worry about us uh he says that again a couple times out of town lord don't worry about us so you know give me give me that vaseline (laughs) i gotta slide the girls know what i mean so yeah it's it's just fun fun lyrics that don't add anything to the narrative of the song or the film but it makes the 12 inch uh, interesting, I think, and it makes the song, the extended version, interesting in a way that the seven inch is, is perfectly fine. I like it a lot, but God, you know, the twelve inch is just—you just, just got to go with it uh, every time oh, if yeah. you have a choice. I don't know how you don't, unless you don't like the song, you just want the shorter version. <laughs> then you go, yeah. with I guess. So that brings us basically to the end of the song, Richard. Do you have any um, any final thoughts you wanted to? to bring up or talk about here about love or money something we didn't touch on already that you wanted to make sure that you had a chance to talk about uh that that's about it um like i said I just you know i'm anxious whenever they do a parade super deluxe edition i can't wait for everybody to hear the 12 inch version if they don't have it or don't have access to it 
Yeah, I want I want that for all the twelve inches too. I mean, not everybody has access to them. I have them for the most part. I don't have digital versions of all of them though, and that's kind of where, you know, that's on me. I could have gotten them by now if I wanted them, but I've also been kind of waiting for a parade super deluxe like you. And I'm just like, why buy them now if I think this thing is coming out? <laughs> why buy them off Apple Music or Amazon when I think this thing is coming out soon? At least that's what my hopes are. Well, but. I would say, yeah, if, you know, any vinyl fans out there, uh, actually, you can still get 12-inch single, I think, on vinyl. Yeah, Kiss, uh, Kiss was reissued, I believe. Yeah, around 2015. So if, you know, go to your local record store and pick it up. For sure. It's worth it. Absolutely. All right, Richard. So uh, how can people find you? Can you just... Um, Tell them maybe like if you have any social media handles you wanted to share with everybody on the on the show. Uh yeah, yeah. I'm on Twitter and be found at Richard Cole underscore now and the now is in all caps. And on Instagram at Richard Cole underscore Mari. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Richard. I really appreciate your insight on the song. Really appreciate you agreeing to be on my show. Uh, hopefully, oh, you'll be, hopefully you'll be back sometime. Oh, yeah. Let me know. Anytime. Cool, cool. All right. So this has been the Press Rewind Prince Lyrics Podcast. I've been your host, Jason Brenninger. You can get a hold of me at uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Press Rewind Pod. And also check out the blog, PressRewind.net, and contact me there. I try to do some writings on there every once in a while on some of the uh, songs that I'm covering or just general things on music. Um so happy to happy to hear from anybody who's enjoying the show and what you like about it or if you have any recommendations for improvements always open to that as well Uh, give it a rate on apple podcasts spotify uh, stitcher you can find it anywhere and i appreciate all of my listeners until next time goodbye